The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Has the market turned an important new corner? Futures are mixed, and what one guest says needs to happen to keep the profit party going. Elon Musk weighing in about the fiery Tesla crash that left two dead. He's now saying about the car's autopilot. COVID all but over by July 4th. One top analyst says it's possible and where he says we now need to focus our medical attention. What's up Tim Cook's sleeve as Apple prepares for its first product unveil of the year? Whatever it is, will it be enough to keep that stock surging into spring? And what's good enough for Oprah must be good enough for Wall Street, right? And you get oat milk, and you get oat milk, and you get a big-time IPO. It is Tuesday, April 20th. This is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, well, if you don't like that tune, there's nothing I can do for you on this Tuesday. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right to it. It's looking like a pretty decent morning. Not great, but not bad for your money. Futures, they were higher across the board, kind of mixed right now. Dow down about 36, but the NASDAQ is higher. All this, of course, coming, and let's not just get too short-sighted. It's one or two days of maybe a slowdown, but a pretty booming start to April, even still. Yeah, the last few sessions, we have taken a pause. The Dow down about... Three-tenths of a percent on Monday. The Nasdaq down about 1%, but still, we are higher on the month. One index I would watch more than the others right now are the small caps. After a scorching start to the year, they have become to show some weakness the last couple of days. The Russell 2000 down 1.5% on Monday, and it's now down over the past month. Remember, the Russell may be a little more important to watch because it's focused more on the domestic American economy, as well as the reflation trade, two things that we are focused on, so stay focused on the Russell as well. One driver of all these moves, bonds and yields. Yields continue to hold around the 1.6% mark, and if they move higher, they could start to impact growth stocks negatively once again. We're at 1.62%. All right, around the world as well, let's get a check on those major markets. We saw the Japanese Nikkei, which maybe had been the single hottest major average this year. It also cooled off a bit overnight, down 2%. Hong Kong up mildly, and the early European trading kind of following our futures market here as well. Not a lot of clear direction in the European markets. All right, so let's move on now and kick off the show with your executive recap, the big global headlines that we are hitting right now. China's President Xi Jinping challenging the United States and its allies the pretty thinly veiled warning overnight, speaking at the Bao Forum in Asia and without naming America specifically, she said, quote, 
one or a few countries should not impose their rules on others and the world shouldn't be led on by unilateralism of a few countries, end quote. In referring to U.S. efforts to reduce dependence on Chinese supply chains, she added, quote, any effort to build barriers and decouple works against economic and market principles would only harm others without benefiting oneself. Also happening now, tobacco stocks getting hit hard. It's on a report the Biden administration is considering a cap on nicotine levels in cigarettes. According to the Wall Street Journal, the White House is trying to determine if it should reduce nicotine levels in conjunction with a menthol ban or as part of a separate policy. In an email to CNBC, Altria said, quote, any action that the FDA takes must be based on science and evidence. It must consider the real world consequences of such actions, including the growth of an illicit market, and the impact of hundreds of thousands of jobs from the farm to local stores across the country. Shares of Altria, Philip Morris, and British American Tobacco, they're all moving down in the pre-market, although not as much as they did yesterday. British American down 2.5, the biggest decliner. And get ready for one of the biggest reports of earnings season tonight. That is Netflix. Their number's out after the close. company is projected to grow revenue 24% and earnings 89%. But as always, those numbers kind of secondary to the number of subscribers. Analysts forecasting 6 million new sub ads for the first three months of the year, down from nearly 16 million a year ago. Thank the pandemic for that jump. Netflix shares, by the way, have done okay year to date, up about 3%. Certainly not what they were, but they're not down like many of the other stay-at-home stocks. All right, now back to the macro markets and your money. And our next guest says, buckle up, because while the overall trends and history are telling a positive story, we may be at kind of a key time overall for the markets. Bill Stone is the chief investment officer for the Glenview Trust Company, and he joins us now. Bill, for the last year, rightfully so, it's been all about COVID, lockdowns, the economy, government programs, whatever. This is looking like it's coming to an end. What are you focusing on for the markets over the next few months, quarters, and maybe a year plus? Yeah, so I think shorter term, uh, as you mentioned, we may be getting a little bit, you know, I, I guess it's, it's probably easy to say a bit frothy when you, we, we kind of took a look at the, all of the, I guess, post-bear markets uh, after World War II, and what you saw was, not unsurprisingly, the, in the one year after, uh, it was typically extremely strong markets, which is what we saw during this one, right? We got 75% up, essentially. We've, you know, not long ago switched into the second year after uh, the bear market. Typically, it actually is still a positive market, uh, except it's not nearly as good. You probably are only typically average up about 12%. As you know, we're up already around 10 uh, this year. So, and then the other interesting thing I think is maybe more important uh, is you tend to see more volatility. So the, the intra-year declines tend to be higher in that year. So uh, that's why yeah. I think you're right on in saying it, it's probably wise uh, to buckle up a bit. Yeah, I just feel like we're kind of searching for a main focus. I mean, obviously, we know what it was the last year. Then it became kind of bond yields and this huge steepening of the yield curve and what that does to growth. We've called it the 3R trade bill, sort of the rotation, recovery, and reflation. 
you know, we kind of wonder going into the summer, traditionally a slower time for equity volumes. Everybody's focused on cryptos anyway, I guess. What the main thing to watch is, is it the Fed? Is it still COVID? What do you think it is, Bill? I mean, I think it's still because uh, the Fed's not going to do anything. So uh, I'm going to say I, I, I kind of set them to the side for now. Um, I, I think it is continue to watch the COVID, how much mobility, you know, that being said, I mean, I know you've talked about it a lot. Uh, people are out and about um, kind of, I'll say, no matter what, in one sense at this point. Um, so I do think the thing to watch in the end is always earnings. And I mean, that's the, the really good story, obviously, that we're in uh, this quarter. And I think that will continue because the economy, at least for 2021, looks awful good. Uh, so I think at least, although I told the story of, of worrying a bit about some more uh, bumpiness at the end, the good news is you, I think you're going to have nice support from earnings. Yeah, important point. And by the way, thank you for that, Bill. By the way, if you live in D.C. or New York, which, you know, sort of are the capitals of politics and the media, you still think everybody's kind of locked down. The rest of the country is thinking, what, what are you guys doing back east? That said, the reason I bring that up, Bill, is that I wonder if there is and we've talked about this over the last couple of months, if there is a big underlying economic strength that we simply do not highlight enough. I get that tens of millions of people got destroyed in the beginning of the pandemic, but the unemployment rate is basically where it was in 2014. Benefits are pretty generous, thankfully, for most of those who have lost their jobs. And about, I don't know, eight of 10 major industries are actually doing better than they were pre-pandemic. I just wonder if the underlying foundation of the economy never took that sledgehammer hit that we sort of imagined it would because of the pandemic. I don't know about you, Bill. <clears throat> Excuse me. All of us seem to be working more than we used to. Yeah, I think you're right in that we've been talking about here that I do think we're up for a pretty, not pretty, a very strong recovery because of exactly what you said. Now, again, not to, you can't set aside that a lot of people suffered during COVID, but the good news is you've got a lot of cash out there. You, you have, frankly, a lot of demand. So, I mean, you know, things we're seeing around here is signs of people needing, you know, people for restaurants, uh, you know, any of the service industries, frankly, are probably having trouble getting people. Uh, and that's maybe costing them business right now, which is kind of a, a shocking turn of events, right? Like that's, uh, um, that's good. I was like, it's good news um, in the long run anyway. Yeah. Quickly, where's, where's value? Where are you putting your clients money right now, Bill? Yeah, I think I still like the banks. I think that's a really good spot. You know, some guard against higher rates, too. Bill Stone, we appreciate it, Bill. As always, Glenview Trust, thanks for getting up early, Bill. Thank As you. always, have a great day. All right, you take too. care. All right, we are just hitting the gas this Tuesday morning. And coming up, a rare win for Big Blue and a stock that's already up more than 15% in the past two months. But IBM may have finally gotten right. Plus... A worldwide exchange exclusive with the CEO of one of the biggest unicorns in Europe. CEO of Klarna is up next. And later, one coin to rule them all. Why the Doge keeps roaring higher even as many continue to sound a loud warning. Very busy hour. Worldwide exchange still ahead. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? 
Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Banking, lack of business travelers, and Big Blue. Let's hit three big money stories right now, and they don't all have to start with the letter B, but apparently today they do. All right, up next, Zion's Bank Corp. Now, the bank, primarily located in the West, reporting better-than-expected first-quarter earnings. Company citing improving confidence in the American economy, rising capital ratios, which would allow for more active capital management, think higher dividends or buybacks, and Zion, a lion, up 2%. Stock number two, United Airlines, losing $1.4 billion the first quarter. That was worse than expected. Business travel has not come back. It remains weak. Revenue coming up shy of estimates. United is adding some new international flights like a Newark, New Jersey to Croatia route. And it says it's moving to capitalize on emerging pent-up demand for travel to countries where vaccinated travelers are. Welcome. By the way, United CEO is going to be on Squawk Box, 8 a.m. Eastern exclusive this morning. And stock number three, IBM, Big Blue getting a little bigger, topping estimates and hitting a milestone. Congratulations, IBM. You finally broke your quarterly streak of falling sales. The company also says it is confident about getting back to pre-pandemic growth levels in the second quarter of the year. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Oprah Winfrey, Natalie Portman, Jay-Z, and Starbucks founder Howard Schultz. Do we have your attention yet? Why celebs and CEOs are piling into an alt milk brand and wants to go public. That's right, we said alt milk. Today's big number, 3.8 million. That's how many single-family homes in the U.S. are needed to meet the current housing demand, according to Freddie Mac. That represents a 52% rise in the home shortage compared with 2018. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
All right, welcome back. Let's step outside of the world of money and business, get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines. Right now, NBC's Philip Mena in New York with those. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Brian. Good morning. The world is waiting on a verdict as the jury of Derek Chauvin's peers will decide his fate. The jury will continue deliberations today after hearing closing arguments from the defense and the prosecution. It could be anywhere from hours to days until they reach a decision. If convicted, the most serious charge carries up to 40 years in prison. But legal experts say a first-time offender like Chauvin would likely be sentenced to much less. Former Vice President Walter Mondale has died at the age of 93. Mondale helped shape the modern Democratic Party, and he redefined the office of vice president while serving alongside President Jimmy Carter. Mondale championed progressive policies, and when he won the party's presidential nomination in 1984, he made history by selecting Congresswoman Geraldine Ferraro as his running mate. Mr. Carter paid tribute to Mondale last night, calling him the best vice president in our country's history. Finally, starting on April 23rd, New Yorkers will be able to get their shots under the big blue whale in the Museum of Natural History. The vaccine will come with, a free, with free admission for a future visit. All right, Brian, so come for the protection, stay for the planetarium. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> I like that. Where'd you get vaccinated? CVS? What about you? Under a giant replica of a blue whale? All right, you <laughs> win. Sorry to tell. Yeah, there you go. I look forward to going back. Philip Mena. By the way, we'll get a coffee in Central Park when we do. Philip, look forward to it. Thank you, buddy. Looking forward to it as well. Thanks, Brian. All right, take care, man. All right, ahead. Shifting the blame. What Elon Musk has to say about last weekend's crash that led to deaths of two occupants, neither of whom apparently were in the driver's seat. And a reminder, if you have not already, if you're one of the, the few in America that hasn't, subscribe to our podcast Check it out on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast apps. It's called Worldwide Exchange. It's pretty good, I'm told. Check it out. Dow Futures, down fractionally. We're back right after this. It's all up to Netflix, J&J, and, yeah, Dogecoin. What's it going to take to keep stocks moving higher? And how the Reddit army has apparently now adopted a Shiba Inu dog. Tesla CEO Elon Musk speaking out following that deadly crash involving one of his cars and what he says about Tesla's real autopilot feature. And COVID all but over by July? Why a top-ranked biotech analyst says, yeah, it's possible. And where we now need to focus our global medical attention. It is Tuesday, April 20th. And this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. You know, some do say this show is all heart. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. By the way, if you didn't hear that, we're playing Barracuda by heart. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Not quite, by the way. If you have to be somewhere at 530, you still got six minutes to go. Futures are, well, they're turning down right now for the Dow, but they are slightly higher on the NASDAQ. Of course, the markets didn't do a whole lot yesterday. The Dow did drop about three-tenths of a percent. The S&P, by the way, failed to hit a new high for only the second time in 13 sessions. So we were weaker, but keep the bigger picture in mind. And I don't just mean a week ago. The markets have been very strong the last couple of weeks, and we are seeing maybe a bit of a pause right now. Dow futures down about 78. The Nasdaq dropped about one, uh, 1.4%, I think it was, yesterday. But we are slightly in the green right now. 
The big action, though, inside the market really was on semiconductors. That's kind of a leading indicator to watch, and they did take a big hit on Monday. The SMH semiconductor ETF falling 2.5%. It is flat to maybe slightly higher right now, but watch the semiconductors. Now to bonds, where yields continue to hover just over that 1.6% mark. Remember, if they do start to move higher, it could do what it did a few weeks ago. Impact growth stocks tend to keep that rotation trade going, if you will. So we are watching the 10-year yield, 1.62%. And oil today, a big day for oil, because if you remember, and I certainly do, one year ago, crude oil, because that crazy USO contract and ETFs and a lot of other factors inside the market actually went negative. At one point, oil was trading at minus $40 a barrel because producers had to pay people to take the assumption of ownership away from them. What a day that was as well, and what a turn it has been for the price of oil and crude oil, which Tom Lee on this show yesterday said is pretty important for the overall market, even if you don't think it might be. Crude oil up 1% right now to $64.04, a $100 turnaround from the lows of exactly one year ago. All right, now to some of this morning's top oil and your top stories, rather. And Elon Musk is denying that Tesla's automated driving system was involved in that deadly crash in Texas involving one of the company's cars. Musk making that claim on Twitter, writing in part that, quote, data logs recovered so far show autopilot was not enabled. He also said that that feature does require painted lane lines, and apparently where the accident occurred, did not have them. Federal transportation officials and local police are investigating the crash involving a 2019 Model S. None have completed their comprehensive investigations. Of course, it is very early, and the preliminary findings have so far been non-conclusive. But two gentlemen did lose their life in that wreck. Well, Apple is set to hold its first product launch of the year later on today. And as always, the company is remaining tight-lipped on what exactly it's going to unveil. But we kind of know. Reports suggest that Apple will launch a new version of the iPad Pro, as well as maybe a a new iMac with some colors. The company's long-rumored AirTags to help you slap onto stuff like a phone or luggage or keys, anything you might lose, it'd kind of be the the Find My AirTag feature. And Oatly has taken a step toward going public. Oatly is the alt-milk company and formally filing for the paperwork for its IPO yesterday. The move comes less than a year after Blackstone Group and a handful of high-profile celebrities like Oprah Winfrey, Natalie Portman, Jay-Z, they all took a stake. Oatly, which reported a $60 million net loss on $421 million in sales last year, plans to list on the NASDAQ under the ticker Oatly, but without the A, O-T-L-Y. All right, let's get back down to the markets and your money and check out Bitcoin this morning. Now, Bitcoin is down just a bit this morning, of course, following the wild moves of really the last 48 to 72 hours, if you will. Bitcoin down about 830 to 55,190. Bitcoin down over 10% in just the past week, but is still up exponentially from where it was just a couple of months ago. This while the U.S. waits for its first Bitcoin ETF, Canada is already moving on to the next thing. You go, Canada. Today, three funds that offer investors direct exposure to Ether are expected to begin trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange. 
In the mean coin, mean, mean coin, I'm just on fire this morning, folks. It's Tuesday. Dogecoin traders are trying to whip up a Doge Day frenzy on Reddit and Twitter. They want to push the price of the crypto toward $1. Now, Dogecoin was less than a penny a couple of months ago, about a nickel a couple of weeks ago, and is now at 40 cents. Of course, I remind you, it was begun as kind of a joke and really designed to serve no purpose and has no fixed amount, by the way. Dogecoin is up more than 8,000% this year. That's not a misspeak. 8,000% this year. A lot of the Reddit traders, they have kind of abandoned GameStop and others, and they have all gotten involved in the Doge. Let's talk more about all things crypto with Sarah Kuntz, Managing Director at Clio Capital, an early-stage venture capital fund backing companies at the pre-seed and seed stages. Sarah, are your institutional clients, I mean people who've been in the market for 30 years, saying, what is Dogecoin and should I invest in it? Or are they just kind of watching from the sidelines with amusement and, and probably a little bit of terror? You know, Dogecoin is a great hobby coin, right? If you can't get to Vegas right now and you feel like gambling on something silly, uh, we have an altcoin for you, right? So so I don't think institutional investors are, are looking at it quite as seriously as, as, you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin with ETFs on the horizon. Um, but I do think it's interesting, right? Every day the internet has a main character. And today, you know, Reddit and Twitter yeah. have decided that main character is Dogecoin. Yeah, you ever see the movie from the 90s, Swingers, Sarah? I mean, I'm, I'm much older than you are. So it was, a, it was a hot movie, and there's a scene where Vince Vaughn and John Favreau, they got like 50 bucks, and they sit down at the blackjack table, and they don't know what they're doing, and he's like, double down. He doesn't have any money, but they have, they have just enough to double down, and of course, they lose. You feel like Dogecoin, you're pulling for them, you want everybody out there to win, but you also get the impression that at some point, someone's going to be left holding the, the Doge bag, if you will. Yeah, I mean, bag bag holding is an entire uh, subculture in in the Wall Street bet style communities where they talk about that, right? You want diamond hands in the parlance. You want to hold um, until oh, you yeah. hit your price target. Laser eyes. Laser eyes, diamond hands, right? But at the end of the day, if you hold too long, uh, you can lose it all. So, so that, I think, is a big experiment we're going to see today. So is there a risk, Sarah, because of Dogecoin? And, you know, it's like kind of like the goofy kid in the class that ruins it for everybody. Not that I would know what that was like. But where there's some very real cryptos that serve real purposes. I mean, Ether, right, on the blockchain, enabling payments, enabling transactions on its own way. It's got a lot of utility. Mark Cuban and others love it. Bitcoin, of course, a fixed number. 21 million is getting harder and harder to mine. There's a lot of others out there that people say, really smart people will say, no, 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 this is not... A, a fake coin with a Shibu Inu dog on it. Does Dogecoin, if it ends badly, do you think it, it could have a ripple, no offense or no pun, impact on the others because they're all unfortunately kind of lumped into the same basket right now? You know, I, I think at this point, um, sophisticated investors understand the difference, right? If you have a hangover from White Claw, you don't blame fine wine. They're deeply different, even though they might fall in the same category. So, you know, it, it's a it's a fun coin. It's it's novelty, and it also I think shows the strength right now of the sort of meme investors, right? We saw this with GameStop, and and have seen it at some points with crypto. And you know, speaking of very smart, serious people who are involved in crypto. Elon Musk is is certainly perceived by most to be very smart, and he's been a huge fan of Doge recently. 
Yeah, he has. And listen, a lot of people made a lot of money. I think it's, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Kind of amazing to watch. You're rooting for everybody out there as, as this army of individuals just pushes and wills this coin higher. It's a heck of a thing to watch. And we appreciate you coming on to talk about it, Sarah. I promise next time it won't just be about the Doge. But we'll get you back on soon. Thank you. All right, let's talk to a unicorn. Well, that's a private company valued at many billions of dollars. And that company is Sweden-based Klarna, recently raising $1 billion more for a valuation of a stunning $31 billion bucks. It's 31 unicorns. Klarna offers micropayments to consumers globally, among other things. So instead of, say, paying $800 for something, you could pay $80 bucks a month for 10 months. And business is booming. And they're also working to do well by doing good. Joining us now for our Worldwide Exchange exclusive is, once again, Klarna CEO and co-founder, Sebastian Semiadkowski. Sebastian, it's good to chat with you again. Thank you very much for joining us. You, you just heard our thing. I, gotta, I know you have a, a safe LO tie-up as well. You are a payments company. How much are you watching the crypto world? I mean, is, am I going to be able to buy something through Klarna, you know, on uh, Blue Mercury's website using Dogecoin soon? <laughs> I knew that question was coming. I think it's like, we'll see. Look, there's a lot of promise, obviously, in the cryptocurrencies. But at the same point in time, I'm just deeply worried to your point as you were making that, you know, there's the, 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 the big risk right now is that like when my cab driver is asking me whether you should invest in Bitcoin, that's when I get nervous that a lot of people will come late into the party and lose a lot of money. So as much as I'm excited about the technology, I'm always worried about like talking about it because, you know, the... Uh, there's just, there's just a big risk. It's such a volatile play and it's such a you know, speculative play at this point in time. And, and, uh, you know, and when I say what I've just said now, I promise you I'll have like 500 people on Twitter going chasing me for even you know, daring to express some kind of skepticism about it. So it is a sensitive topic you're asking me about. Um, I, I know it is. People, well, listen, when, when people are playing with their money, they, they, they tend to get sensitive. That's, that's kind of the way it is. And if you're long it, you certainly want people to talk it up because then it goes up and you make money. I know you have partnered with a Sweden-based crypto broker. So clearly, you have a positive view of the crypto market. I only bring this up, Sebastian, not because you're a crypto trader, but because you're now one of the biggest payment companies in the world. And people are starting to ask and look around to pay for stuff in kind of new and unique ways. Yeah, I think, look, there is one thing that's very true. And that is, if you look at like credit card as an industry, as, a, as an example, it's an $8 trillion business, right? That's what McKinsey and the others will tell you. Does that make sense? Is it really, does it, is it meaningful that society pays $8 trillion for shifting you know, money back and forth in accounts? That's just not long-term sustainable. So this industry, the whole retail banking industry, payments is up for disruption. And it's definitely going to be a much smaller business going forward. The whole industry is going to shrink. But obviously, as 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 part of you know, for our shareholders, for the Klarna shareholders, I I you know, our ambition is to be part of that positive drive of making this business better for consumers, less costly for merchants, uh, and driving that positive transition. And I think again, as I said, you know, Bitcoin could be one technology that could help accelerate that shift. Um, so there's a lot of promise. But but to your point today, I mean, we have 17 million users now in the U.S. We just went live with Blue Mercury and all the physical stores. And now we have this really exciting thing coming on up and on for, for Earth Day. That is another really exciting thing for us. Yeah, the, the Give One Pledge. And this is important, by the way. And it's, it's not just because you guys are doing your part to try to tackle climate change or go after it. 
This is, and let's be very clear to our audience that still may scoff at this, this is good business, is it not? When, when young, and it's not just younger people, by the way. I know people in their 70s who act like this. When they look at vendors, they look at things that match up with their societal feel, what they want to have happen, and they look to choose vendors that match up. And so doing good, like your give one pledge, also can be very good business, correct? Well, it's I, not I some right. greenwashing PR stunt. Yeah, and I think, look, the problem is also like when people say, well, maybe you're trying to greenwash or whatever, I always say, so what's the better option? Not doing anything at all? Like, I mean, nobody knows what's yeah. going to work. It's a big challenge that we have, right? But it's about charting and trying and iterating. One of the things I'm super excited about is one of the things we reflect on a lot is that like, you know, going out and, and, and demonstrating in the streets or writing petitions, it's kind of, it's a good thing. It needs to happen. It's good that people show their, uh, you know, that they're um, really passionate about this. But we realize one thing, like there's nothing as powerful to change companies as where consumers vote with their wallets, right? If we decide to buy this thing instead of that thing, that changes the, you know, the changes industries, changes companies really quickly. So the idea now that we're going to launch, which is amazing, that 90 million users of Klarna will be able to see in real time the actual climate carbon dioxide footprint of every purchase they do. Uh, launching that to all of our users like we're doing right now. It's unheard of before. And we think that that's the beginning. It's a little bit like when you walk, you know, you shop food today. You can, you can, you can, you can look at it and you can watch like how much fat is there? How much sugar is there, right? Why isn't that, why hasn't that yeah. happened before? And, and we think this will shift people's priorities. I mean, 65% of Gen Z and millennials globally see reducing carbon footprint as more important than ever. So if we can help creating that transparency, if we can allow consumers to vote with a wallet and empower them to do so in a smart way, we think, you know, we think it's a good start. But again, as you said, it's a big challenge. And, you know, we're going to iterate. We're going to try. We're going to learn. We're going to improve as we go. Yeah. Very quickly, Sebastian, you're in over 60,000 retail stores as well. I also see you're back in the office. Give us a quick take on how you see the global consumer. And as a CEO, when do you guys, in Sweden anyway, when do you expect to be back in the office? We're asking sort of all the CEOs that question about this sort of return to work globally. You don't want to get me started on Swedish vaccination, so let's not go there. But what I can say, what's really exciting, at least for retail, right, is that we see that, you know, of 40,000 shoppers that we asked, they're really missing to go back to the physical stores. They're missing the instant gratification, the physical retail offers, like purchasing, returning products quickly, trying on and fitting rooms and so forth. However, obviously, contactless features are here to stay. Uh, you know, this is going to be a massive boost to all contactless payments. Congrats for Apple Pay and Google Pay from that perspective. And so, but we're obviously supporting yeah. those features. We have Apple Pay and Google Pay support. So I think those things, but, but people are dying to come back to the stores. And I think we're, we're going to, that's going to be quite interesting to watch in the coming weeks. Sebastian Simiakowski of Klarna as well. We will not get you started on the Swedish vaccine campaign. Not going as well as it is here, but Sebastian, we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. All right, coming up, Morgan Stan- speaking of, Morgan Stanley's Matthew Harrison standing by with his team's latest take on our vaccine rollout, some of the red flags on inoculation overseas, and the one country that has basically wiped out the virus and what it means for our future here in America. Stick around. All right, welcome back now to this morning's daily vaccination update and our march out of the pandemic. And there is a lot of good news out there. Nearly 15 million doses have been doled out in just the last 
four days. There are your total numbers. But now 80% of American adults over the age of 65 have had at least one dose of the vaccine. And so as our vaccine program keeps booming, what could our future look like? Well, maybe take a look at Israel. Israel has all but wiped out COVID. It's not quite gone, but it's darn close. Check this out. On January 15th, Israel had 8,817 cases. Last Sunday, just 146, drop of more than 98%. And it all began as their vaccine penetration really hit about 53%, according to data from Fundstrat. Yes, I know, Israel, a small nation. Easier to keep people from moving around as much. But still, many on the street are looking at Israel as an optimistic data point in our continued fight. We always try to bring you a little hope and a little optimism here on Worldwide Exchange. A lot of scary headlines still out there, folks. Stay vigilant, but there is an end. And let's stick with that theme and bring in Morgan Stanley's Matthew Harrison on the CNBC Newsline. He has been on this with his team religiously from the start and doing some of the best work on the street. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Is Israel a good guide for us, or is it simply just too small of an indicator, kind of like the UAE and Bahrain, by the way, they're right up there as well, to be any meaningful index or indicator for the United States? I actually think it's a good uh, corollary to look at, Brian. Um, you know, they, they have some of the characteristics that we would look for, right? That they've obviously vaccinated, I believe it's north of um, 81% of people over 16. And the vast majority of the unvaccinated are under 16 because you just don't have the vaccine available for that population yet. So in our work, um, we think the U.S. could be to that point by the middle of the summer. So I think it is something we can we can potentially look forward to. Are you are you are you suggesting the possibility and I hate the term, but the possibility of of the H.I., the herd immunity by midsummer, Matthew? Yeah, so, I mean, in our work, if um, the U.S. continues on this pace at about 3 million doses a day, um, we could uh, hit 75% of the eligible population, which is those over uh, 16, um, by um, in the next month or two. And by the middle of the summer, you know, everyone um, could potentially have been vaccinated. Obviously, that depends on people's willingness. Um, but from a supply standpoint, we, we yeah. could definitely be there. But that also is not factoring in natural or acquired immunity. So it's kind of an extra buffer, perhaps, if you will. And maybe we could advance that. Matthew, does the J&J pause, which is looking more like a stop than a pause, let's be honest, does that impact your projections at all? It, it does not. Um, we fortunately have a plenty of supply from Pfizer and Moderna. Um, and, um, you know, almost all of the vaccines given so far have been from those two. But the good news is, um, by um, July, we will have north of 600 million doses supplied from Pfizer and Moderna, which um, is more than enough to cover the eligible population. Wow. You know, and we are, to your earlier point, Matthew, and I put this out on social last night, starting to hit peak demand. We're seeing stuff. Hey, come on down to the NRG Center in Houston. We got lots of vaccines. I know Louisiana seemed to hit peak demand last week. The U.S. is looking good in many spots. Is it is it time now for us to start to share the vaccines with the rest of the world's good politically, perhaps good economically? How worried are you about the rest of the world's rollouts? It's important to focus not just on the U.S., but the rest of the world for for two key reasons. The first is 
Um, obviously, it's a global economy, and, and, and you can't turn that completely back on right until you have the rest of the globe vaccinated. But I think that the second point is, um, outside of just the humanitarian aspect, um, countries that, that still have high rates of transmission, that allows for potentially new variants to develop. And so it's, it's good for both the U.S. as well as other countries that are, that are going to be earlier on in the vaccination campaign to help with countries outside of the U.S., because the faster we get the global population vaccinated, the less risk that you're going to see more variants develop, which could be an issue even for vaccinated patients. Yeah, and then I put out, again, seasonality has kind of become a dirty word in COVID circles, but we're starting to get some year-over-year comps, which are starting to look kind of interesting from a seasonality perspective. That aside, Matthew, it's, it's hard to believe. I think there's actually about 4,000 different variants floating around. We focus on a few, the South African, the U.K., the Brazilian but there's a lot. Give us a reason to be optimistic, if you will, about the variants, the vaccines, and where we're headed. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the positive aspect here is that even though we have some vaccines that have qualities that could make the, um, the vaccines less um, effective against those variants, the vaccines are still quite effective um, in protecting serious disease or hospitalizations. And so, from the perspective of yep. having very severe disease, you don't see that even with some of the most worrisome variants. So I think the hope is that vaccines are, are quite good at what they do, and that as more and more people are vaccinated and the transmission rates go down, that, that adds an additional level of protection. Yeah, and that is a so key, what you just said, and I can't reiterate it enough, Matthew Harrison. It's about outcomes. We want cases down, but more importantly, we don't want people to get sick or worse, Matthew Harrison, Morgan Stanley doing some great work. Matthew, we appreciate you coming on again. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, Brian. All right. You're welcome. All right. On deck, three big stock picks from G Squared's Victoria Green, including one big name tech stock that is starting to get some real love again. Plus, your morning RBI, and this one, I'm not going to lie to you, folks, is straight up bragging why this CNBC show, Worldwide Exchange, really is the GOAT, and I'm sorry to all my friends and colleagues. And if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange any day or you're just simply in a place where it's too doggone early or maybe too late, who knows? Check it out on Apple, Spotify, and others. Dow Futures down 144. We're back right after this. Well, your morning RBI has to do with the GOAT. No, not Tom Brady or an actual GOAT. Our GOAT Index, which stands for Get Out and Travel. It's a group of 22 stocks that we put together late last year. It was meant to highlight the coming into the pandemic and the lockdowns. You know, names that would benefit from all of us busting back out into the roaring 20s. Most of the index is composed of what you think. Airlines, cruise lines, sit-down restaurants and the like. Of course, it's not a real investable index. We made the GOAT Index for fun. And to highlight this particular group of stocks that have been kind of left on the trash heap like someone's forgotten luggage. But maybe we should have made it real. Because look at this. Our GOAT index really is the GOAT. According to Charts, thanks to Charts, by the way, for flagging this for me yesterday. I'm not even looking at my own stuff. Our GOAT index is up 28% since January 1st, 16% more than the S&P 500. And beating all the other major indexes as well, in fact... All 22 of our GOAT stocks are higher this year. And if you really want to get random but interesting, the single best GOAT stock has more to do with flippers than hooves. 
It's SeaWorld, up 61% this year overall. Been a whale of a year for SEAS. Maybe we'll give that the seal of approval. And maybe I should stop making bad puns. Either way, maybe we should have made this into an ETF. You go, GOAT, and you go, Worldwide Exchange. Random, but interesting. All right, let's stick with specific stock names and some interesting ones from our next guest, and that is Victoria Green, founding partner and the chief investment officer of T-Squared Private Wealth. Victoria, did you put all your clients' money into SeaWorld at the beginning of the year? Hey, I'm just waiting for your GOAT ETF to come out. I mean, I'd be thrilled to have that and have that in the portfolio. For yeah, sure. I missed the retirement opportunity. I'm finished. <laughs> yeah, no, it'd, it'd be interesting to have. And certainly travel stocks have done well. Uh, and we have a couple we own. We look at Hilton. You know, unfortunately, cruise lines still be on hold is not fun. But uh, hopefully they'll get the the free sailing from the CDC at some point. But airlines have certainly picked up. And summer demand, at least domestically, looks robust. So go on, GOAT. <laughs> Yeah, go on GOAT, but I feel like maybe the GOAT is gone, to be honest with you, Victoria. When I look at the valuations, I'm like, eh, this is interesting. IBM, I mean, with all due respect to my friends in Armonk, I know they watch. I'm sorry, I love y'all. The company was ignored for like 15 years. They finally broke a decline in sales streak this quarter. You like the stock. It's done well. What has IBM finally gotten right? Well, certainly the big thing is their cornerstone in Red Hat. And, you know, this is the first time they've shown revenue growth since 2018. But the CEO has only been around a year. You know, he came in in April 2020, just appointed chairman of the board in January. And he is really working on shifting the culture. They're spinning off their legacy infrastructure. And this is a growth story about hybrid cloud with Red Hat, as well as their AI capabilities with Watson and integrating that in with healthcare. We see this as a well undervalued stock, great dividend you know, strong governance, but it's never easy to turn a stock like this, kind of like turning a battleship, not a speedboat. It takes some time. This has always been a turnaround play for us, but it's also yielding 5%. So you can sit back, collect your dividend as this turns into a a multiple expansion and a growth story, which we really think it's headed the right direction finally. Yeah. And by the way, another super tanker, literally Chevron, name you've highlighted before, a name you still like. Absolutely. You know, it's, again, a demand play and a reopening play. They, again, have a strong dividend. Quite frankly, I think they're the crown jewel of the big integrated oil space. And with oil sitting comfortably above 60, you know, a lot of companies are profitable, especially in the Permian. And their merger and acquisition last year actually got them more land in the Permian and some really great acreage. So we see them well positioned. Uh, We also see them as a better defensive play in oil and gas. You know, they're not a strict EMP. Uh, They've got Mm -hmm. a good balance sheet. They've got strong cash flows. They've got global projects and refining. So we see them as a great way to get your exposure to oil and gas, but also with a quality stock. Two big names that have fell out of favor for a long time, that are back in favor, you think have that momentum as well. It's not about the Dogecoin. It's about the big blue. Victoria Green of G-Squared, always a pleasure to have you on, Victoria. Have a great day and a great week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right. Take care. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day wherever you may be. Squawk in the gang. Picking it up next. Dow Futures down a buck fifty. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.